Well, I had a, a beautiful conversation this week in the car park at Third Wednesday with some of our students, three of us, three students, and, uh, and I had a, a conversation. And I wanted to let you know about it because it, it fits with what I want to speak about this morning. And actually, uh, contrary to the uh, keynote presentation that I put together just this morning. Our, our title is now Lo- No Longer God-Sized Prayers. That's not Herb's fault, it's mine. I just changed it about two minutes ago. I want to speak today about holy longing. So uh, I and these three students, uh, all young women, were speaking after Third Wednesday. And as George said before, we'd had a time of worship and prayer. Uh, hadn't quite managed how to, uh, to figure out how to get the uh, sound projected into the internet until halfway through. So sorry if you tried to join and just it, it was mute. But it's, it was a great conversation because it became clear to me in that moment just how wonderfully God is moving amongst young people in our church and in our city. And these three young women were recounting to me, a little bit about what God had been doing and has been doing in their lives over the last few years. Uh, it's, and it's probably fair to say we're all a little bit giddy. And that prob- perhaps was the Jaffa cakes that George brought immediately after the, uh, the gathering. I was trying to communicate to them how grateful I was for just what they've brought to our church. Those three have, have joined us in the last year. And they were just communicating to me what they'd seen and how God had been working through them. And the risks they've taken uh, to see the gospel moving and to see God's kingdom coming amongst them and their friends. Risking fines from the university as well. Running an underground church in their halls over lockdown. That was my favorite bit. I was, I was praising as I heard about that. Through which a number of their friends came to faith. Risking rejection from their peers as they pursue God in an abandoned way at university, which by the way, I've tried it, it's hard. It is hard to do that. And I asked them, look, how did you guys get like this? (laughs) How did you become the kind of people that just love God in this way, just seeking to somehow absorb some of what God was doing in their lives? And the answer, they had three different answers, but behind it all was really this idea that God did it. One student recounted to me how she'd been an atheist, but God... Uh, turned her life around. She had an encounter with God and that changed her. Another spoke about how God had used community and these other two young women to shift her mindset and to help her over this last year particularly. And the third said that for her, her faith came alive when she and her family moved countries. They moved to France, which is a very secular place, a place where God isn't welcomed in public debate. And for her, that meant that she had to find new ways to connect with God if her faith was going to survive at all. And what she found in that and through that was that her faith actually grew. And she said this, I learned to go to the source. I started to read the Bible and pray for myself and my faith grew and grew. She discovered what I'm calling this morning, uh, borrowing a phrase, a holy longing. We've been in a series for the last umpteen weeks and I promise you it's ending next week, on what it means to live out faith in exile. And for those that are new to us, maybe haven't been a part of these last few weeks, we've been saying that exile is the experience of living outside of your home. It's that feeling you get when 
you're not, you're not at home, when you feel like you're a, an outcast, maybe an outsider in a particular environment. And we've been saying that following Jesus in these days can feel like that. And that everyone who, who is intentional about living out their faith life is going to experience that. You know, you're going to have a quizzical look when your friends, from your friends when you say that you're praying for them, maybe. It could work itself out in so many other ways. But we've been saying as we look through Daniel that that isn't actually a bad thing. Because what God can do in that space when we're not at home amongst our culture is actually to bring about life, faith, and hope. And today I want to see how what he wants to do among us is to help us by developing within us a holy longing. And so let's look at Daniel. Daniel, the hero of the story. Of course, the book is named for him. And actually, I want to take us back just a touch before our reading. Uh, at the end of verse 8, if you do have your Bible, you can open with me. Chapter 8, sorry, verse 27. And what we see is Daniel's had this long vision of God and, uh, and all manner of complicated things that I'm, like, I'm not even going to get into. Uh, trying to interpret these visions and dreams which uh, were given to Daniel to help understand his situation. They weren't given to him to help us understand our situation today. They were given to him to help him understand his situation at that time. And he said after he received those in verse 27, I, Daniel, was worn out. Can I get an amen? 18 months into a pandemic, I, Johnny, was worn out. (laughs) Maybe you can say the same this morning. I lay exhausted for several days. Then, (laughs) please, Lord, May I lie exhausted for several days. (laughs) Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. (laughs) If you've read the vision, you're like, yep, it was. So Daniel's exhausted. This is the context of what happens in Daniel 9. And and then we read that in the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over Babylonian of the Babylonian kingdom. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Okay, so the context here is that there is upset and unrest. We read here that this is the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes. You don't need to know anything about Darius, son of Xerxes today. Take a breather. But the key thing is that there's been a transfer of power. One kingdom passing over one ruler to another. And so there is unrest, there is turbulence, there is transition, there is change. This is a time of upset and unrest. Daniel is exhausted, the people are entering into a new phase. This is a turbulent time. And so maybe we can gather something as we live together in a turbulent time from what happens with and in Daniel. What does he do? What does Daniel do as the exhausted man that he is? Well, the first thing we see is that he ponders. He ponders. He ponders. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet. He goes to scripture. He thinks he digests from God's word what, and then seeks to understand what's going on. He goes to a particular prophecy, which we've already looked at in this series. It's in Jeremiah 29. And with that, he chews over it. He asks God what's going on. 
Now in Jeremiah, we find that the length of the exile was uh, reported, Jeremiah prophesied that it would be 70 years. Now Daniel, at this point, is 50 years in. Just begins, in the light of God's word, in the light of God's promise, he just begins to ask the question, what's next? Just begins to ask that question in the hearing of God. He ponders. Is it time, Lord, for the return of your people? Is it time for the exile to end? If so, how would it come to be? That's the first thing Daniel does. Secondly, he prays. And the rest of the chapter, Christine read to us, is his prayer. Now, the prayer focuses on all sorts of things. There's a whole lot of repentance, of ownership of the people's sin. There's, there's fasting, seeking God's face. There's focusing his heart and mind and attention on God. Is all kinds of stuff. It, I would want to say one thing about prayer, and I think it's the most important thing about prayer. The most important thing, thing about prayer is not that it's religious, that it's honest. You know, I, I see, I, I, honestly, I see so, so often the biggest stumbling block to, to prayer is a lack of honesty. I say this time and again, I won't tire of saying it. If your prayers are religious, you're in danger. The best prayers are honest prayers. And Daniel prays honest prayers. His heart's broken by the situation of his people. And so out of that, he just prays honestly, Lord, we're in a mess. And we own the fact that we're part of the mess. Would you help? He ponders and he prays. Now, what is he praying about? We see this in verse 17 and 18. The synthesis, the coming together of his heart. Now, oh God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. In brief, Daniel is praying for the state of worshiping, the worshiping life of the people of God. The, the temple was broken down and uh, reduced to rubble when God's people were taken into exile. He prays for the sanctuary. We're going to put this in uh, today's terminology. We say Daniel is praying for the life of God's people, for the church. Now, the temple was the symbolic home of God's presence. Daniel is praying for a return for the, of the presence of God to the heart of the nation, for the building up of God's people again, and also for the reputation of God in the world. The temple was broken down, and that meant God's reputation was being broken amongst the people. So that's the first thing. The second thing we read in verse 18, give ear our God and hear. Open your eyes. See the desolation of the city that bears your name. So as well as praying for the, the God's presence to be renewed amongst the people, he also prays for the city. With the destruction of the city came the idea that the God who, whose name was uh, synonymous with the city had also been defeated. And Daniel prays for a restoration, not just of the temple, but also of the city. He wants to see a renewal of not just the worshiping life, but the economic life. He wants to see jobs return. He wants to see uh, community life restored. He wants to see friendships renewed. He wants to see isolated people coming into the marketplace again. 
Daniel, uh, through God, Daniel is given a vision, a holy longing for a completely three-dimensional, four-dimensional, multi-dimensional life. He wants to see hearts made whole. Lives transformed. He wants to see the whole thing coming alive. and, And at the heart of it is God's presence. And that is Daniel's holy longing. He receives a holy longing, a longing that comes from God that goes beyond himself. How did we know he has a holy longing? What's the evidence of a holy longing? I could go on for the rest of the week giving you evidence from scripture about what that looks like, but I wanna pick out two things really quickly. We know we have a holy longing. We know Daniel has a longing from God that's given by God because his prayers are not self-focused, but God-focused. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying you can't pray for yourself. You should pray for yourself. You should pray for yourself every day. You should pray for those around you, your family, your friends. That's absolutely, that's the main and the plain often of the praying life, isn't it? If we can't pray about that stuff, how are we going to learn how to pray? God loves that stuff. He wants to hear us talking about our daily lives. We'll land with that. But I think that when we have a holy longing, the evidence of it is that we're able to get beyond that, that God gives us an even bigger vision than just the main and the plain. He puts something in our hearts that that it goes beyond just the daily concern. Daniel has that. His prayers aren't self-focused alone, but they're God-focused. Secondly, his prayers aren't, and it's the same thing, just put another way really, isn't it? His prayers aren't Daniel-sized, they're God-sized. You know, how, ask, ask yourself the question, ask, Daniel must sit there and ask himself the question, well, is there anything I can do about this? Yeah, can, I, can I sort of get us going on this project of renewing the temple and re- restoring the city? We know we've got a holy long if the answer to that question is basically no. No, I can't. I can't do it. Lord, help me fill out my tax return today. Good prayer to pray. But let's be honest. We can do something about that. Lord, help me me revise. Are there any students? Probably not any more students in the room if all the exams are over. But help me revise for my exams. Lord, give me strength to do it. Okay. Open your textbook. Let's get on with it. You know, there are prayers to which we can become the answer. And God can help us in that, and that's good stuff to pray about. But then there are prayers to which the answer can only be given by God. And what I want to suggest today is that it's in exile, often. It's in this experience of being away from home, outside of our comfort zone, beyond our own strength, that we can develop. A holy longing, a a, a holy ambition, a vision for our lives that goes beyond our lives. And that's what happens for exile. In Daniel's life, we don't know anything about his prayer life before he gets to Babylon. We don't know anything about any part of his life before he gets to Babylon. But we know that God did something in his life there that made him an instrument of God's purposes in his generation. And I think it happened because of the conditions of exile. It happened because he experienced 
the discomfort that came from being an outsider. And that's why I think exile is a good thing. And I think if we have a fault line in our culture, is that we're so afraid, it's that we're so afraid of discomfort. And let's be honest, when we come to discussing church life, we can get the same way too, can't we? No coffee at that Trinity Church. None. None. When they did have it, a bit strong. How many of us complained about the strength of the coffee? I'll be honest, I did. How I would, I, would, I would crawl on my hands and knees up that hill, Mansfield Road Hill, if it meant I could sit here and drink coffee, that I didn't bring myself. If I could sit here without a mask, I'd, I'd do a marathon this afternoon. Possibly. <laughs> Things you need to be careful of saying in the pulpit. Committing to exercise would be one. But isn't it amazing? I, I, I joke. But we are so f- afraid of discomfort, even in our spiritual lives. What if God allows discomfort to create longing? What about theological discomfort? Let me say this to you. And I want to say this particularly to maybe some of the younger folks for whom big questions are arising in your faith and you don't have the answers. Why does God allow suffering? Questions like this. What if God permits that question to cause you to lean on him? To cause you to lean into him? To cause you to come closer, to cause you to interrogate his character and his purposes. Not so that you'd give up, but so that you would, you would wrestle. But so that within that uh, shell, God might create a pearl. And yet so often we're afraid of that. And so we allow ourselves to tap out in the midst of the question when actually the question is put there for our flourishing. You know, there are people in this community, in this family that have wrestled with addiction for years. And they've arrived and are arriving at a point in their lives where God is releasing them into flourishing and favor. That's the way he works. He never wastes anything. And we don't need to be afraid of those seasons of discomfort. Because God can do immeasurable things. God can use those times to create longing in us that become a blessing, not just to us, but to many people in our communities. Daniel's arrived at that point, and he gets to a phase here in his life where he's praying. His prayers are God-sized. He's not just praying just for his own renewal or for the renewal of his family. And by the way, good things to pray for, those I've been praying for my spiritual renewal for Over a decade now, I still pray, Lord, show me your glory. That is my prayer. And yet, that's a great prayer, but it's not a big enough prayer. I want to get to the point where I'm knocking on heaven's door, not just for my own renewal, but for the renewal of the church in this generation and indeed the nation. Where do we get this kind of prayer, this holy longing prayer? We get it in exile. Let me put it to you that over the last 18 months, we've had an experience of exile. What do we call it? Lockdown? 
Okay, this shaking, quaking, lockdown. Certainly, the temple hasn't been destroyed, but we couldn't visit it. It may as well have. And here even now, we sit here with our masks on, looking like we're about to perform some oral surgery or similar. What a crazy situation we've been in. Okay, the city hasn't been destroyed, but we haven't been able to visit it anyway. Maybe it has been destroyed. How many people in our city live in a greater measure of isolation, anxiety, mental illness, desolation because of the last 18 months? Isn't our city in many ways in ruins? What if God is calling the church in these days to sit in the discomfort of that and to allow that to it, allow his spirit in that to birth a holy longing, the kind of prayer that we can't in and of ourselves be the answer to, that only he can answer. I know this is happening in our lives. And I want to pray this morning for more of it. We know we have that holy longing when our prayers become God-centered and God-sized. The evidence of it is hunger. How can we grow in that hunger? Well, as I've said, we we grow in that hunger by just getting to the end of ourselves. You know, the beginning of the spiritual life is always arriving at the end of yourself. You know, it has to teach us more about this than anyone else. Alcoholics Anonymous, the AA community. So often they're the ones evidencing the humility that is the, the precondition, the foundation of spiritual growth. I've said this to you a number of times before. This is the foundation of spiritual life. When we come to the end of ourselves and we say, I can't do it on my own. But we also, and again we see this in AA, AA speak about the steps Faith, life grows. Holy longing is brought about when we take a journey step by step into the purposes of God. In Daniel 6, we saw this last week. Let me just read one verse from Daniel 6. Daniel again is in this turbulent moment and it says this. He got down on his knees three times a day to pray to his God and praise him just as he had done previously. Daniel, alongside this sense of I can't do it on my own, also has this sense of, I'm going to take a step. I'm going to take a step today, a step tomorrow, a step the next day. I'm going to walk with God, hand in hand with God. In short, Daniel had made his heart God's sanctuary. And so God began to trust him with a vision for a renewed sanctuary for his people. Daniel had made his heart the city of God. And so God started to plant a vision for the renewal of the city in Daniel's life. The complaint, the difficulty, the question, that's the place where God births the holy longing. That's the place where God wants to use us. That's the place where God plans 
to transform us and transform those around us. Now in the end, of course, Daniel's prayers were answered. God's people returned to the sanctuary. We read this in Ezra and Nehemiah. This profound picture of God's people returning, rebuilding the city, rebuilding the temple. It's an extraordinary read. But that moment wasn't the ultimate answer to Daniel's prayers. That wasn't the resolution of his holy longing. Without knowing it, Daniel's prayers began to bring into focus the coming of Christ. Jesus was the rebuilt city that Daniel longed for. Jesus was the rebuilt temple for whom Daniel was praying. And so when we pray in faith, when we allow God to bring about in our lives a a longing for something beyond ourselves, beyond our reach and our own strength, we partner with God to bring about things in future generations that even if we were told now, we we wouldn't even have the courage and the faith and the boldness to pray for. Things that our children and our children's children and their children and their children will inherit as they walk forward in faith. And any one of us can begin walking into this simply by praying step by step today. Lord, create in me a deeper longing, a holy longing. Do with my life what you will, not what I will, but what what you will.